Good morning. This is the Wisdom Seekers class, and my name is Stacy Maston. And I will be the teacher this morning. Uh, I wish I had a very uplifting teaching, but it's going to be pretty heavy. Um, <clears throat> and I do, I do uh, latch on to Dennis's words. Uh, of prayer to our Father that he would give me the words to say and illuminate the things that he would like for me to, to um, stress and point out. Uh, this was born out of a time of prayer that I had when we were living in the apartment. It wasn't about the apartment, um, but that's just where I was. I remember laying on that couch in a prayer time that I was having and this verse was illuminated to me, and I was, I was really uh, struck by it, even though it's such a, um, I mean, we all pretty much even can quote this verse about the heart being deceitful and wicked, and we use it a lot to describe things, and we have over the years, but whenever I began to study these words, there was really a little bit more to it than I think what I had initially um, attributed to these words because I obviously made some assumptions as well as to what maybe the Hebrew words behind the translations uh, ended up being in the King James. So, um, but it is, you know, we're talking about the heart and we're talking about um, the failings of the heart and how the heart trips us up and that's what we're going to be discussing today. So uh, let's just begin with a little backdrop in Jeremiah because I, I initially was kind of taken aback as you always are when you read Jeremiah because he's in, he's out, he's up, he's down, he's over, he's back, he's, you know, and you're trying to, what, what's the continuity here? Why is this, you know, this little blurb stuck in this passage? And well, we know the backdrop is that Israel was, was uh, backsliding, they were serving idols, etc., and he was just always having this continual dialogue with the Lord, and then, of course, um, declaring over Israel and to the people the things that the Lord gave him to say, but um, particularly in this instance, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10, we'll read that as a backdrop to our signature passage. Thus says Yahweh, Cursed be the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm, and whose heart departs from Yahweh, or the plan. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and he will not see Tob when it's coming. But he shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusts in Yahweh and whose hope the Yahweh is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreads out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat comes. But her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So I felt like, what's funny, you can imagine that the thing that I first saw was the blessing about the trees planted by water, because that's what we've been focusing on. So that's kind of a, um, a highlighted text for um, the saints right now. And then, I, you know, you just have this you know, you'll be a tree planted by waters, you'll be fruitful, the heart is deceitful. You're thinking, how is, how did he do that? 
Well, I mean, you had to go back a little further and you see that it was an either or. You're cursed if you don't, you're blessed if you do, right? And so I can see that it began by saying, whose heart departs from Yahweh. That is the issue right here, is whether your heart's gonna depart or whether you're going to trust in Yahweh and your heart is gonna be continually um, you know, attached or um, focused on his plan and what he's doing. So we come to our signature passage, um, which is verse nine. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So when I looked uh, up this verse, it's really interesting, all of the uh, filler words that the, common, the, the, the King James translators uh, did to make this a sentence because the only words you have in Hebrew are deceitful, wicked, yada. So it doesn't say who can know it. It doesn't say that. It just says yada, which yada means to know, to learn, to perceive, to discern, to find out, to know by experience, to recognize, um, to be revealed, uh, to be instructed. So to know is a revelatory word because as we've learned through kind of a sister word, it doesn't say that they, they link together, but you have yada, which means praise. And they, the only difference between them is the accent on the A's. So um, we know though that yada is about commune with our Father. It's about communing and talking about things. And that's how you're going to perceive. That's how you're going to be instructed. That's how you're gonna know something. But this passage, having those three words, well, I mean, I'm sorry, four, the heart. So heart, deceitful, wicked, yada, that. Those are the, fir the four Hebrew words that are used in this first um, verse. So we're going to look at these in the Hebrew to see um, how they are used to get a broader meaning of the verse. But we're first going to look at deceitful because it's really interesting. Look below that verse on this page and you have you know, five or six different derivatives that all stem from the same root word, akab. And that root word means to swell out or up, to seize by the heel, to circumvent is as if by tripping up the heels, and to restrain as if holding by the heel. So the etymology points to the name Jacob because he actually has part of this word in his name. He's the heel catcher. This can mean to hold something back, to restrain it. It means to defraud, to ambush, which also talks about our rear guard, to sneak up close behind someone, to t attack from behind. The one who defrauds you, the one who holds you back. So I want you to see these descriptives of the heart. So the heart is, is like sneaking up behind you. You don't see how the heart is tripping you up. Okay, I just find that really fascinating. That's why it's deceitful above all things, but that's just, you know, because of, I guess, the scope of that definition, the translators, you know, embellished it. You know, it's deceitful above all things. Because, 
And who can know it? Because you don't see it coming. That's why they're saying this. So we're going to look at these other definitions we're going to go through as we look at the verses. I just have them there as a quick reference for you. So let's go to page two. So looking at the root word to hold back, to restrain, to defraud, ambush, attacking from behind, we have um, a couple of verses that are pretty popular, pretty well known. Genesis 27, 36, and he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he that hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he takes away my blessing. And so this is, of course, um, a very... Um, well-known story uh, where Jacob stole Esau's blessing. He tricked him, as it were, uh, out of his birthright. And then this second verse in Jeremiah is a reference to that, saying, take heed. Jeremiah is talking about the people because they're just so evil. He said, take heed because every one of his neighbor, uh, trust not in your brother even, because every brother will utterly supplant. So they're, they're tricking each other. They're trying to outwit one another and, and rob each other of whatever they have. And that's how bad it was. So this is what we're talking about. This is the root word of all of these other derivatives that we're going to look at. And then we'll come to um, the, our actual signature term in the midst of it. So uh, let's look at Akeb. It's a masculine singular noun, meaning the heel, footprints, the back, or the rear. So this is going to discuss how um, things come up from behind or how, that's re how that is revealed, as it, as it were. So Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his head. So this is talking about what the enemies target is. So the enemy is going to be targeting your heel, coming from behind, okay? So it's the same principle, but we're used to that, aren't we? We're used to the enemy's subtleties. We're used to the way that he tries to trick and he tries to, um, you know, keep you from seeing, as it were, what he's trying to accomplish or to get you to, to fall in. But this is also describing the heart. This is the thing we have to keep in mind. Genesis 49:17, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that bites the hills of a horse, so that his rider will fall backwards. So this obviously alludes to the cunning or treachery of the serpent, saying that it attacks from behind. And the human heart is described in the same way. Psalms 89:51. Wherewith your enemies have reproached Yahweh, wherewith they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. So even the ones, particularly the ones who are anointed by God, the enemies are, our enemies are going to be at our, our heels. They're going to be, you know, taking note of what we're doing in order to try to trip us up. And this next verse says this, a very similar thing in Psalm 56, 6. The, they gather themselves together, they hide themselves, they mark my steps when they wait for my soul. So he's saying that the enemies are conspiring together, they're lurking, watching his heels like a hunter that follows the track of the prey. The enemy is carefully watching those who are devoted to filling, fulfilling God's plans in order to seize every possible opportunity to, to see that we fail. And you know, I know that 
we talk about, you know, the enemy, uh, not overemphasizing the enemy's, um, like blaming him for every single thing that happens in our life. We've kind of learned to, to look at something and really to judge between Tob and Rob to see what the Father is doing because it actually may be the Father that is leading us in a pathway that is challenging or difficult for his own purposes. But when you talk about people, a people group like ourselves who have the purpose of the Father, we're moving forward, um, you can bet on that, especially on that corporate level, but particularly individuals as you are trying to to go forward and make headway. The enemy is at your heels. He is there to try to trip you up and see if he can't cause you to falter. So we need to be aware of that. Um, but I, I, I know that I tend to err on the side of just letting God be the author of, of anything that I'm going through. Even if it is the enemy that caused it, I just, I look to him for how he wants to instruct me in the midst of whatever that challenge is. Um, I don't really address the enemy and binding and rebuking unless the, unless the Lord kind of tells me to do that specifically. I don't just go binding, oh, get rid of this, you know, take care of that, whatever. I just go through it and hope, not hope, <laughs> that second cousin that we all <laughs> disdain. No, I don't just hope. I mean, I rely on the Lord to instruct me in it no matter what's happening. And I know that we all have learned that and we're all doing that. Jeremiah 13, 22 says, if you say in your heart, Wherefore come these things upon me? And the answer is, For the greatness of your iniquity are thy skirts discovered, and your heels made bare. So iniquity has a way of even exposing the heel. I think that that's really interesting. And that is something that we're all um, dealing with in overcoming and allowing the Lord to teach us about our iniquities so that we can... Um, overcome and we can submit those things to his purpose and to his plan that they don't trip us up that they aren't the things that cause us to miss the mark but your iniquity, iniquities will, will find you out and they do expose expose the heel let's look at Job 18 8 whoops a drop of water for he cast into a net, for he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks upon a snare. The jinn, or a snare, shall take him by the hill, and the robbers shall prevail against him. The snare is laid for him in the ground, and a trap for him in the way. So this is the discussion between Bildad and Job, and they're just talking about the self-entrapment of the wicked. And, but what it really you know, again, is, is uh, depicting is that iniquitous behavior, iniquitous, you know, letting the iniquities override what you know that you're supposed to be doing. And oftentimes, oftentimes iniquity, this is just not a very comfortable stool, <laughs> just, just so you know. Um, uh, the thing about iniquity is that um, when we're in a, a a favorable repose, it doesn't usually come to bear in our lives. It's only when we're, you know, stressed, when things, um, you know, happen suddenly, when uh, something's not going right, then the things that haven't been submitted to the Lord or the things that have uh, not been overcome, they kind of come to the surface. And they are a snare. They do, they will trip you up and take you out. 
Um, so just know that all these descriptives really are talking as well about our hearts. Okay, let's look at the next word. It is a keb, a liar in wait, a supplanter. Other verses that I did not put in here discuss where you might place an army. So you might put them in a, a, in a hinder part or somewhere where the enemy doesn't see them. They're lying in wait in order to overtake the army. So I just, I didn't use those verses, but I wanted to give you that description. So Psalm 49.5, Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? So there we have again the iniquity that is um, really kind of biting at your heels in order to cause you to fall. Let's look at Akba. I took, now, up until now, I had used these uh, derivatives in order. You can see the numbers 6117 through 6122, but I, I kind of uh, switched the order so that I could land on my signature passage at the end. So let's look at 6122, Akba, a trick, trickery. It indicates deceitfulness, acting according to a ruse, uh, threatening, cunningness, and deceit. In 2 Kings 10, it was used, you know, by the Israelites to overcome their enemy. Um, now, therefore, call unto me all the prophets of Baal and his servants and his priests. Uh, let none be wanting, for I have a great sacrifice to do to Baal. Uh, whosoever shall be wanting, he shall, not, he shall not live. But Jehu did it in subtlety in the intent that he would destroy the worshipers of Baal. So he kind of led them into a trap so that he could destroy them. Um, then let's look at our verse that has our signature passage word in it. And this is akab. Again, it means a knoll or swelling up, a steep or hilly, fraudulent or tracked. And by tracked, that's like a footprint. But Isaiah 40 verse four, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Crooked in this verse is really talking about um, something that's fraudulent. Uh, you have other descriptives here that talk about obstacles and, you know, different descriptions that Isaiah is talking about making a way um, for Israel to come back. And then later, of course, it's, it's discussed regarding um, John the Baptist, who's making a way for Jesus. But this crooked here is really talking more about a fraudulent situation. And being made straight is righteousness, uprightness, you know, making something um, right again. But it does talk about an unobstructed path, making something level, or even. So there is hope. See, the thing is about the heart, it is, it is deceitful, but we're going to see how the Lord works with us in order to um, help us to overcome that and to not fall prey to its deceits. So in Hosea 6, 8, these are the only three verses that are used, used um, with this word. It says, Gilead is a city of them that works iniquity and is polluted with blood. So it's just talking about the wickedness of Gilead um, through that word. 
And in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So as we have looked at all of these different derivatives and the root word itself, we see a really clear picture of how the Lord is describing what's going on with our heart and how we are tricked by our own selves. <laughs> and, you know, I think as, long, as far and as, and as uh, mature as we become and as far as we go, and I don't know that um, we'll ever outrun this situation. I mean, just like your iniquity, you're always going to be dealing with that. Um, I feel like uh, we're not as quick to um, be taken in by the desires of our heart and the things that, you know, really trip us up with regard to um, our walk. Or we, we quickly recover. I mean, something does happen. We, we see that it happens quickly, and we recover and align ourselves again. Not like it took us two weeks or a month or six months <laughs> in the years past, you know, you, something happens and it just totally throws you off and you just, you just can't recover as quickly. But I feel like we're in a place where we recognize that deceitfulness. It may get us, but when it starts nipping, you know, we try to take care of it. But I just wanted to give you a full um, definition and description of what is going on with our hearts. But I love this next derivative because it really does show that the heart being the steering wheel as it is of our life, right? So the heart is not really the one making the decisions. The heart is the one that's carrying out the decisions. So it is steering us where, you know, our inward parts have decided that we're going to be going. And I feel like this Akeb sort of aligns with this, this, um, principle of the heart being the steering wheel because whether you do something or not really does show oh wait did I do this right yeah I did I'm sorry put you back here I saw that over there and I thought oh my god have I not gone through that yet okay there we go so let's look at a keb it means a heel the end of something the result or the consequence so that is a way that the heel is also referred to, the end of something, the result or the consequence of something. Let's look at Genesis 22, 11 through 18. Let me look at the time. I'm not going to read this. This is talking about Abraham when he was taking Isaac up on the mountain and when he obediently um, was willing to sacrifice Isaac, the result was that the Lord said, because you've done this thing, you have not withheld your son, um, in blessing I will bless thee, etc., etc., and thy seed shall be, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So that word because is the result of his obedience. Now think about what, Jake, what um, Abraham's heart was encountering in the midst of this situation. I mean, I bet his emotions were all over the place. Even though we know he trusted God and was obedient, you know, he thought, I mean, could you not be thinking about losing your son? I mean, you know what I'm saying? The reality 
The reality was he was taking his son up on the mountain to slay him. Now, could God provide another seed for Israel? Of course he could, but he'd still be losing that son <laughs> that was the most precious thing to him. So there's the heart that could have deceived him, who could have come up from behind and talked him out of it. Whatever, you see. This is a place where those deliberations were in play, but Abraham was obedient. And because of that obedience, he was blessed. Okie dokie. Now this next verse in Numbers 14.24 is something that we have recently studied as well about Caleb having another spirit. It says, uh, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. So we have just recently um, learned about this another spirit. It's the um, Hebrew word aher, A-H-E-R, means one coming behind, waiting, tarrying. Um, so we know that, that Caleb embraced God's promise he wasn't afraid to go into the land as, as they were instructed to do. And because he grabbed hold and he seized that plan and was willing to go forward, he, he had another spirit. That was what was different about him. That because, see, Caleb had already worked out who he was, what he believed, and what, what, where he stood. When he went and saw the giants, that fear didn't come in from behind. It didn't come in and nip at his heels to cause him to fall back like the other spies. Isn't that interesting? This is what we're talking about. This is Caleb who said, I know who I am. I know what I, where I stand. And no matter what I see, I'm going to go forward. And because of that, that was the word because. That was the end result. 2 Samuel 12, 7 through 10. This is another famous passage that occurred with David because he killed Uriah in that discussion with Nathan who said, Thou art the man. So I don't have to tell you about the discussion. But here is something that is so... It really kind of shocked me when I saw it myself just because of what we think about David. And listen, this doesn't disparage that. It just shows the reality of David being a man. But it says in verse 9, You have despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. You killed Uriah the Hittite, blah, blah, blah. And it says in verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. Now, think of the word despise. Does David come to mind? When you see that word, despise, you don't. You, David was after God's own heart, wasn't he? But what happened? His heart tripped him up because he despised him. Let's look at that word. Let's break it down. Let's not use the word despise. Let's use words that really talk about what's happening. Although God, I think, uses despise. But to disesteem, to disrespect, to prefer something more than the thing that is despised. Not to treat something with proper respect. He obviously did not respect what God was doing there 
God said, I've given you everything, and I'd give you more still. But yeah, you had to have your eyes checked. You know what I'm saying? It's not what I've given you enough. So David's heart really did trip him up, and it came at the hill. It came from behind. He did not see this coming. I don't think David saw this coming. Do you? Seriously. From the beginning to the end, had he known what was coming, he would not have. But whatever was happening when he first peered out the window to the time of this situation, he did all those things with regard to that scenario with Bathsheba and then killing her husband in order to cover up his sin. Cover up his sin from who? Because God is the only one that really matters in this situation. Whether the people knew it or not was, I mean, I know he did it for the men at war. I mean, he was trying to protect the Israelites who were at war, but still, you know, God, he knew, God knew. Jiminy Cricket, he did know. But anyway, here we have. So the other side of the coin is um, not doing what is right, being overtaken in that, in that um, trickiness, the subtlety of your heart, and this is the result. Let's look at some examples um, where this word despised is used. It's used a lot. I just pulled a few out that were popular because I knew you would know the story and I wouldn't have to go into it. But Esau despised his birthright. So how, why, why else do you think that God gave it away? You see what I'm saying? That happened because of Esau's own heart, not necessarily just because of Jacob's heart. Esau lost it. He was the one to lose it. And I think about things that particularly in my own life, and, I, and I, I use myself as an example because it's, because it's true, and, it, and it, maybe that helps you to see something real in your life, but um, I've really struggled with Portuguese, and I have wondered if I have not despised it, and things just began to break down for me in my learning. Listen, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow when you kind of come to a realization that you're not holding the esteem that you need to with something that God's given you to do. And uh, so certainly this has been a matter of some discussion <laughs> between me and the Lord. But I'm just saying, you know, how are you thinking about what God's asked you to do? You know, you do it grudgingly. I don't think that's going to fly anymore. I do think back in the day when we didn't know anything that we could probably get away with not liking the things we were being asked to do, even though we were being obedient. But I don't think so anymore. I think what is going on in your heart before God with regard to the things he's asked you to do need to be esteemed, not despised, or just disrespected. Goliath disdained David. I would say that he underestimated David a little bit. That's what that is. He disrespected David, not realizing what a cunning warrior he actually was. Michael looked upon David as he danced in the ark and despised him in her heart. What happened to her? Baron. Listen, God's paying attention to what we're thinking in our hearts about the things we've got to do. And then Jesus was despised and rejected of men. So these are all um, verses and passages and stories that we're familiar with. So you can kind of cogitate on those things for yourself. Let's look at Proverbs 22.4. <clears throat> um, by... This is because of humility and fear of the Lord, there are riches, riches and honor and life. So 
this is that word buy. I mean, who's going to click on the word buy? Absolutely no one. That word was only found because it was connected to something else that I did click on. See, there are hidden words in there, but it's a pretty big hidden word. It really means something. Then Psalm 19, verse 9 through 11. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. I mean, I don't have to say a lot here because of everything I've already said. It speaks for itself. You see what the result is based on following God's word, God's judgment, etc. But I love this word warned. The servant is warned by all these things that I just detailed. It means to gleam, to enlighten. It teaches us, it admonishes us, it sends out the light, and it means to be shining. So I really love that descriptive of how the servant is warned by these uh, principles. That God, and, and we're talking about the fear of the Lord and the judgments of the Lord. All right, the last verse in this section is Psalm 119, 112. I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. So just speaking of, you know, never failing to, um, to perform the statutes and inclining ourselves toward that end. For, to the end. <laughs> Two different meanings altogether. So let's look now at um, the next verse in our signature passage, which is verse 10. And, the, and it says, I, Yahweh, search the heart, I try the reins, and even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So in this passage, we see that this is, as we look at these verses, we're going to see that this is how God keeps us in a balance. This is how he teaches us and shows us how in our hearts to overcome because he's dealing with our hearts. He's searching the heart and he's trying the reins that kind of, um, well, we'll just go through it. I'll, let's start with uh, the wicked, the word wicked. It is a word that means to be frail, feeble, sick. Am I, am I in the right place? I am not in the right place. I am. I need it. Okay, I know that it says it on your sheet. Oh, yes, I'm so sorry. I skipped a part, so forgive me for doing that. I didn't get the second half of the heart being deceitful and wicked. So the word wicked, I'm so sorry. Okay, let's backtrack. Rewinding all of those things I just said. Now we're going to look at the second half of this verse 9, where the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Okay, wicked. I'm so sorry, guys. Huh, okay. So this word wicked, which I bet you all thought it was going to be raw, didn't you? Yes, because I think I've always read that verse, and I just thought it meant it was raw. And I can't tell you if I've ever clicked on this word before. Maybe I have, and it just didn't stick out. But I'm telling you, I know when I ever said that, I just thought that the heart had raw in it, which it does. <laughs> 
But let's look at it. It actually means an incurable sickness. It's incurable. There's not one verse that says something different. It's absolutely something that cannot be cured. The condition itself, I'm not saying it can't be overcome, but the, it's like an iniquity. It's going to be there. Um, so it means incurably wicked, a desperately sick condition of the human heart that only God knows. And so I just picked out a few verses um, out of several. Second Samuel 12:15. Nathan departed into his house. This is after thou art the man um, discussion. And Yahweh struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. And we knew that it, we know that it was sick unto death. Jeremiah 30, 12, for this says Yahweh, thy bruise is incurable and thy wound is grievous. So the things that, that the children of Israel were engaged in was a bruise. It was, it was described as a bruise, which is a fracture, a breach, a breaking, a destruction. It was incurable. Jeremiah 30, verse 15, why criest thou for thy affliction? Your sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity, because your sins were increased. I have done these things unto thee. And so the word sorrow is anguish, grief, and pain. That was, that was incurable. Um, that was the description for the word desperately wicked. So it's not, I think, what we have, you know, thought it meant as we maybe quoted this verse or even thought upon it. We thought that wicked just meant bad, but it really means the condition that is incurable. So now we're going to move into what I earlier said, and that's verse 10, where uh, the Lord Yahweh is searching the heart. And that is the word hakar. It's a primitive root. It means to penetrate, to examine intimately, to explore, search out, and probe. But and inter interestingly, it's used uh, frequently to, dis to d discuss cross-examination of witnesses. <laughs> so I guess when the God, when, when the God, when the God is searching the heart, he's, there's a cross, -examine going, a cross examination going on. And we know there's discussion because we have the word yada um, in this framework. So there is definitely going to be discussion going on about the heart. God is going to be searching things out, discussing that with you, and probably you're going to feel um, you know, the heat of that discussion if he touches on something when you realize that it's true. I know I, that's the way I feel. I'm just like, oh my gosh. Isn't it something that he tells you sometimes, just a revelation when, you know, it's not good? You're just like, oh. I mean, I do do that. You know you're guilty. You know it's what you do. <laughs> and you can't run from it. And you just have to Submit it to the Lord. You know, you do the things you do. I'm not going to go down that road. You, you're all seasoned intercessors. Hopefully you're having discussions and you're submitting yourself toward the end of overcoming. But, I mean, some things I'm dealing with from the last 25 years, just in different ways. It's still the same root situation in my life. That's bad, too. But, you know, it's just real. I mean, this is just real. It's, I'm not, no, I'm not alone. Um, I'm in good company. I know that. Um, but we definitely need to, um, to submit ourselves to these conversations with the Lord and, and, and not, you know, put up the hand. 
So let's look at Psalm 44, verse 20. If, if we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For he yadas the secret, the secrets of the heart. So there's nothing that we're going to do that God's not searching out. I mean, there, this little passage that I, you know, cut out here actually was much longer of all the things that you could be guilty of with regard to forgetting the name of God, etc. right? So I just thought that this said enough to let you know that if you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing, God can search this out. And he will because he wants to talk to you about it and he wants you to overcome in it. He doesn't want you to fail in those things that have caught you going astray. Have, you know, whatever has caught your eye or something you feel like you need to do that that is not just an obligation, which we all have. I mean, we've all got so many things in our lives that we have to do, and we, we can't get out of that. But where is your passion? Where is the, the agape and the, um, is it high, what's it called? I can't think of that other Greek word that discusses, huh? Were you going to say it? Uh, well, I thought he said something. That's why I quit. But it's where you, it discusses your passion. It discusses getting heated up over something. And the way, hythamia, something like that. Isn't that what the word is? Anyway, my point is, where are your energies being placed that is taking the place of what your passion is for the Lord? That's what we're discussing. In Lamentations 3, verse 40 and 41, let us search and try our own ways, and we turn again to Yahweh and his plan, and we will lift up our heart with our hands unto Elohim in the heavens. So we are instructed to seek out um, and disguise. I, I love this. It says, let us search our ways. Why? This word seek also means to disguise oneself. I think you have to seek it out and probe and examine because I think we have masked over some things and they can't be easily discerned. I think we disguise iniquity or sin sometimes. Maybe we do it for the purposes of others, but I think sometimes we fool ourselves. I mean, why else would it say that our heart is in such a way that it actually can trick us. It comes up from behind. There are things that we're just not aware of. And so they're able to trip us up. Um, Okie dokie. So let's look at the word try. He tries our reins. First, I'm going to give you the word reins, which is on the next page. We've discussed this at length, I know, over the years, and so I'm going to just recap um, what this means. Reigns is the Hebrew word, Hebrew word kilia. It speaks of our kidneys. It speaks of an inward, intimate place within us, the seat of our emotions. It comes from a word that means something prepared, like an instrument or a weapon, a jewel, 
I mean, any kind of vessel, literally, it just names several. But this place, this inward place, is where we process things. We process what the Lord is telling us, and we process the things that we encounter in the world. And when we're processing these things, we're making decisions about where we're going to be going, how we're going to react. This is what I was discussing when we were talking about um, the result, you know, how a result of something, whether you've been obedient or not obedient. Well, this is what happens to bring you to that result. Because our heart is going to act based upon what our inward part has been discussing with the Lord or with the world. And depending on how concrete we have established ourselves on the right path, the less likely we are to make the wrong decision when we come to that point of decision making. So we're prepared, we're prepared, we're prepared. Something happens, we have to act in that moment. It's an instantaneous decision that we make to either do something or not do something. I would say that, as I discussed earlier, what I feel like happens to a lot of people, you know, when things are going okay, you're not, you're not likely to miss the mark. You know, you know good and evil, you choose good, you know, yay. But when things come to bear in your life, and you have to make a decision in a place where you're mad. And when, when is the place where we act like we're not supposed to act? <laughs> when we get mad. I know that I do not react correctly when I get mad. I know when I'm hurt. I usually act out in a hurt manner. Not in, you know, the place... Not always in the way that what was discussed up leading up to that hurt moment. I'm better at it. Now I react more in line with the things that God has taken me through on this journey. You know, you, you're, you go through these types of situations. You work through your bad decisions or your bad reactions. You both look at it and talk about it. You go forward, you do a little bit better next time to a point where hopefully you're not reacting the same way because God has solidified in you by trying your reins, by bringing you through a situation many times so that you can be solid in your reaction in a, in, you know, as you mature. So that is, those are the reins. Let's go back to page five where it says to try. This is a primitive root, means to test, like to test metals to determine their purity. It means to investigate, to examine, try, prove, and it can refer to any type of test to evaluate the dependability or the genuineness of something. So if God is trying the reins, then he's trying where you really stand, the genuineness of where you are. And when he's doing that, he's doing it based on something he's already taught you. And he wants to see, have you established yourself in this thing that I have just shown you or we've been talking about however you want to put it and when you're in that test and it's like yay A plus uh, D oh C oh B and you've got all these grades I mean he's going to continue to take you through these situations and then test you on your reins that discussion there just needs to be more discussion about this is what he's really saying 
I can see you're not really standing <laughs> in this thing that I'm showing you. So in, this, uh, in the first little section here on the bottom of page five, I gave a couple of examples where um, things were tested in the natural. In Genesis 42, 15, Joseph tested his brothers when they had come to Egypt and they, you know, they made all these claims. He tested them by making them keep, was it Benjamin that he kept? And, and so they could go back to the dad and all that. Well, he tested the truthfulness of their claims. I mean, he knew who they were. They weren't fooling him, right? They didn't know who he was, but he was testing them. And then in Job, um, there was a discussion where they were talking about the, the reliability of the spoken word as being true. So we're talking about a testing, a testing of something that is dependable, genuine. That's what we're talking about. So let's, let's look here. Um, another little something I typed in here on page six, you'll see it. The Lord examines and tries our reins to discover our true attitudes and motives. He's continually teaching and training us, and then he's trying us in those areas. So let's look at Psalm, what are we doing on time? Okay. Psalm 66, verses 10 through 12. For you, Elohim, have, you have proved us, and you have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us, I love this following, these following verses. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction upon our loins. You caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water. I think that that discusses some proving and trying. What do you think? But you brought us into a wealthy place. See, that's always God's intent. His trying and proving is never to harm you. It's always <laughs> to bring you into a place where you are overcoming, where you are blessed. But that is, that is the point of these deliberations, and that is the point of him dealing with the things of our heart. The word tried there, we're familiar with it because it's talking about you know, refining silver. So it's like heat that's applied. I think we're familiar with the heat that has been applied in our lives. In Psalm 81.7, it says, you, you called, I'm sorry, he's talking to us, you called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I proved thee at the waters of Meribah. You know, the deal with the children of Israel is that they were proved through that whole journey from the, from the moment they murmured as they left Egypt's camp. I mean, they were continually being proved because they continually murmured. And he was always wanting to just go ahead and out them. And Moses would, would uh, appeal to him. And he would nakam. And, but he was always proving them. And I think he was really, you know, he was just trying to teach them. He wanted to get them to a place where they would, they could relate to him personally. But they never reached that, that pinnacle, of course. Uh, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Uh, search me, and this is the word that we looked at before. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Yada, my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. So in this instance, we have um, this word, uh, the thoughts being tried and discussing our thoughts. 
And these thoughts aren't just any thoughts. They're disquieting thoughts. They're divided opinion thoughts. So he's going to be talking to you about where you're not, where you're not standing with a single opinion. And then it says in verse 24, See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And this word wicked again, not raw. It's oseb, meaning see if there be any pain or hurt or sorrow or an idol. I mean, I think sometimes pains and sorrows that are so deep, they can become an idol. They become the thing that you're always bowing down to. You can't get past it. You can't you know, be joyful in the Lord because of your sorrow. And, and even if the sorrow, and, and, and when this really happens is when you're completely justified in the way you feel because someone really did you wrong and you're just, you know, really hurt over it and you just can't get past it. But that becomes the thing that you're worshiping. That becomes the thing that you're always bowing down to. So we're asking, we're asking God to, to search us for those areas that have not been healed, that have not been forgiven. We're not forgiving those who have done us wrong. We can't, listen, pains, hurts, sorrows, those things really can be the bane of your existence. They can keep you from the promise. They can keep you from the blessing. And we need to talk about them with the Lord. We need to let him search those things out and to try us in them. And he will. That's just how good he is. Yay! <laughs> Proverbs 17, 3, defining part, oh, let's just, let's, let's just, just do something else. Uh, look at Zechariah 13, when it talks about the one-third that, that the Lord is going to bring through the fire and refine and try his gold so that we call on his name. That's just him preparing a people for himself. He's going to try the ones who are remaining. The remnant will be tried. And then Job 23, um, but he knows the way that I take. He's going to talk to us about our journey, and he will try us so that we come forth as pure gold. All right. Was that it? That is it. Oh, my gosh. See, this used to be seven pages, so I thought I was going to seven pages. I was really hurrying up so that I ended on time. Well, so, wow. That was a really neat roundup, wasn't it? I, really, I, I just riveted you. Y'all ready to come to the altar? <laughs> I thought I had another page to go, so I was fixing to hit them hard. In Genesis 3, which is something that we're dealing with continually and will continue to deal with, um, where it says... Whom his enmity will, with the enemy, <clears throat> we will bruise his head, and but the enemy will bruise our heel. And that word bruise there is used twice there in that verse and two other times. So it, it really describes the warfare that we have to deal with in conjunction with all these other instructions that we've received today. The other two times is in Job, where Job is really battling the enemy, but he's also enduring what God's doing 
and it, it brews there is waters that just keep overtaking him, so the circle thing. But the other one, which is, the, to me, the key one, is again in Psalm 139, which you referenced in Psalm 139, 23, and 24 on page 6. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it just a few verses earlier, Psalm 139, 11, it says, the darkness will cover or bruise even the night be light about me. The darkness does not hide from you, but the night shines in the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee, for you have possessed my reins. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And possessed there is Canaan, which is the jealousy of the Lord. So I guess what I'm saying is this battle of bruising with the enemy is not going to go away as long as we're on this earth. So no matter what we do, we're not going to be able to rectify it. It's a different word for bruise than this other bruise mm. that you mentioned. So the only way that we can keep our reins right before the Lord is stay focused on His jealousy. Keep our focus on the one, like Abraham was called by Melchizedek, the possessor of heaven and earth. The only way we're going to deal with the enemy in, in the high places, the only way that we're going to be able to navigate through these bruisings, which is a continual battle. You know, they both, the enemy and Eve, got <laughs> lambasted by God, and rightfully so. And we're in that now. We go to Brazil, we're dealing with people, enemies in the high places. Our reigns are being tested. The only way that we can overcome this is to stay focused on the jealousy of God. What God has said is we're going to be overwhelmed. We're like, what, what was that, Psalm 66? What, what are you going to do? I mean, so I, I guess what I'm saying is it sounds perplexing that we're always going to be snipped at, but the bruising is a crushing that the very thing of the heel is part of it is we're putting our head, our, our heel down. It's going to be attacked, but we're crushing his head. So his head is his agenda. His head is his plan. His head is his direction and what he has assessed is right to him. That's what we're to to crush, um, but the only way we can mm -hmm. do that mm -hmm. effectively is to have our reins or the direction of our strife controlled by the jealousy of God, and that's what Melchizedek identified as the key thing for uh, for Abraham, the father of all who walk in faith. But that's what directs directs our reins. Um, and, and really, you know, think further about what the kidneys do. They process impurities. They, they factor in um, the blood sugar. They, they cleanse out drugs or things that are influencing us. And, um, you know, we're going to have to continually process with, in our heart, whatever the enemy's throwing at us. And to me, that processing should be happening 
You, you know, in health, you can either be reactionary or proactive. So if you know that you're going to have problems with a certain thing, you can just keep messing around with it and go to the doctor and take medication and do all this other stuff. Or you can be proactive. And I think, you know, a lot of the people, and I, I can view people from my role as, as supposedly the pastor here. Um, I can see, I can look at where people thumb their nose at us and God, and that's just what happened. And they vanished and they rejected the plan of God. And I see characteristics of their fall, but when I look at when they were successfully serving, I see those same characteristics. And it's not Tobin raw. It's just that they're, they're functioning in their iniquity, but they're just doing it in a sweet, good way. And, and I, I think we all deal with that, as you have said, but what is the bruising that God said all right, here's the game. It's not a game. Here's the war. You, enemy, you did this, Eve, you did this. Here's, here's going to be bruises. And you're going to attack his head, but he's going to attack your heel. So you just might as well know that no matter what we do until the enemy's put away, that's the game. That's the war. So, but... The, the only times that word is used is twice bruise in that Genesis 3. Once when Job was talking about darkness that was really going around him, and boy are we in that now. And this verse in Psalm 39. So, you know, to me, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But the only way we're going to be able to navigate this is by allowing the jealousy of God to be what controls our reigns. And, you know, I, it's, it sounds strange, but, you know, I don't know how many times I've screwed up or been tempted to screw up or got screwed up upon. And it's going to produce nonsense, but the only thing you can do is stay focused on the on the canal of God. That's the only thing that's going to matter, because that's the end game. That's what the enemy didn't want. That's what he rejected. And you know how do how do we do that? How do we stay focused on the jealousy of God <coughs> for our own life, for our warfare, for our. Um, Directives. I don't know. Anybody have any thoughts? Yes, there's thoughts. Just a couple of, to go along with what you've been saying. Uh, <clears throat> we we were all born under the sin or the curse of Adam. We can't help ourselves. We'd like to get out from under the curse of Adam. Our hearts would like to defeat that whole thing, and yet. What we absolutely know, but what we don't act like we know, is that the only way to get out from under the curse of Adam is when God takes the reins of our hearts and our souls and our minds and we get out of the 
motivation of emotions and into the motivation of God's spirit within us. And so, although we would love to just get out from under it altogether, we can't. And we know we can't because we're born under the sin of Adam. It comes right back to that. And it's, a, it's depressing to think that we will never escape uh, iniquity or our hearts telling us the wrong thing. That's the sin of Adam. There's no getting away from it. And so uh, we can control it to various degrees based upon how we allow God to take our reins. Our heart does not want to give up those reins. We must give up those reins to God in order to defeat Satan. And this bruising of the heel is Satan's sneak attack on us that we don't see coming, that uses the function of our hearts, which is at enmity, you know, in so many ways with God, because it's our will, it's not his will. And so it sneaks up on us. And we would like to, um, and maybe I could put it this way, but I'll, I'll, we would like to, within our heart, find an easier way to not be sneak attacked by Satan based upon our own strength, based upon what we can do, when in fact, because we're born under the sin of Adam, the only way to get to defeat that is to give our control back over to God and his spirit and have his spirit take the reins of who we are, of our hearts, and from our innermost being outward. And we don't like to give up control. Okay. And it's a constant fight. It'll always be a constant fight. It's depressing to think it's going to be with us until we die. But that's the way it is. And there's no getting away from it. Zach, did you still want to say something? Yeah. So, is it so Dennis did not uh, deter you from your... <laughs> oh. <laughs> It was interesting because I looked up the word heart there and it, it kind of has the meaning down in there. It's One of them was to be hardened or to be stiff because, you know, in our feelings. Um, and I just think that's that's the way is you remain malleable for the Father in your heart. I think that's what Pharaoh ran into is that he, you know, it said God hardened his heart, but what he wasn't doing, he wasn't invested in what God was doing. And so at the time, you know, the curses came upon them. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll let you go. But he did not remain in the presence of the Father. And so his heart was hardened. So I really think it's, it's that remaining malleable. And I feel like you do that through your, your prayer life. Like that is your connection with God. That is where he is testing you and really just creating that soil for the Lord to do what he's going to do. Yeah, and I, I, I'm reminded of Caleb having another spirit. I mean, he was sure where he stood no matter what he saw. I mean, that's the same thing as the Kana. No matter what we see or experience, we have to know what our mission is yeah. and not deter from that. And it is it, it can only happen through our communion with the Lord. There's no other way in our own strength to provide that kind of confidence yeah. in, in God and what he's doing. 
And what you, you know, what you all said is exactly what we're all about, what we're all trying to do to remain soft, to remain submitted before him, um, to, uh, as we pray, our spirit is strengthened, our spirit is, uh, becomes the more dominant, uh, you know, part of our lives, how we're led is through the spirit, but, um, but the thing that I guess is really just, that really hit me so hard was the fact that, you know, I am, I'm out against myself and my heart is not for me. <laughs> my heart has its own designs and it wants to, um, just kind of like pride, it really has its own aim uh, and it's all for my own good, personally, carnally, right? But. Um, but I, I feel like, and the reason why I wanted to talk about it in, in, this, in this season that we're in is just bringing up the fact that we're going to be in some really high, um, high level spiritual atmospheres where those areas of our heart, I think, are going to be tested. And we have to be on the lookout for that sneak attack of our own, our own selves. I mean, the enemy is going to be there providing these wonderful atmospheres for us. So, uh, yeah, he had, Caleb and Jacob saw everything that the other spies saw, but the result was completely different. Right. They, it, it emboldened their trust in God, where the others were, were following their hearts. Yeah. So I just feel like we're in this place where we are as we go forward. I, I just want us to all be aware of what, what God has done in your life, what he's been trying to do to, to bring you to a place of um, confidence in him, you know, knowing who you are, but just being aware that those little things are, have not gone away and they're going to be tested. It's going to be tested in these coming days and certainly um, because of our own walk and our journey with him it's part of who we are and what we'll continue to do with him because he's always trying to bring us to a place um, of grace where we're continuing to go forward and higher in him but but also what pastor said about the enemy i mean that that is the ultimate battleground right there is is what happened in that garden and what god said about what the enemy would be doing and what we would be doing and then the one thing that separates that and keeps us is our holding fast to that um, purpose that he's put before us. So I didn't take us over. I was only using the last few minutes that I had left <laughs> to wrap it up. Thank you all for your comments. And thank you, Lord, for getting me through this teaching. Thank you, everyone. It's interesting that we ended this class with testimony.